Welcome to the show. This is Pagan Spirituality Today, episode number 17. As always, I'm your host, Kavaldrida. I want to thank you for joining me. Today is November the 29th, 2009. Oni and I have been coming down with something, sort of a nasal thing, for a couple of weeks, so I may sound a bit froggy or more difficult to understand today. For that, I apologize. But I'm going to power right through and continue on with the show. Today's topic will be shamanism. This is a topic I have studied and been involved in longer than any other magical or spiritual practice, so I have a lot to say about it. But before I get to that, allow me to remind you that this show is on Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, Proud Pagan Podcasters, at iTunes, on Facebook, and is hosted on podbean.com. If you want to leave me a comment, please put that on Podbean or on Facebook or leave me a review at iTunes. Every so often I will get a comment at Podcast Pickle or Podcast Alley, one of these other sites that I almost never visit and therefore I don't see your comment. So please, leave it at Podbean, at Facebook, or a review on iTunes. And I've had two more reviews on iTunes, which I greatly appreciate. Thank you very much for folks who leave me a review. Good, bad, or indifferent, I'd just like to hear from you folks. And of course, you can always email me at paganspiritualitytoday at comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. I'd love to hear from you that way as well. So I think that's enough announcements for right now. Let's get right on into the show. Shamanism. What is it? Why do I want to talk about it? Well, I used to believe there was a fairly simple answer to the question, what is shamanism? Because I did my studying 
quite a while ago, more than 10 years ago, and in some cases as early as 20 years ago. Things were different then. I looked on the internet in the last couple of days and I've browsed some bookstores to see the plethora of information and websites that's out there now, and it is definitely a more confusing arena than it was when I got started. So goes the life in paganism, I guess. Everything becomes wider and broader, but also more confusing. Let me begin at the beginning with good old Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, which defines shamanism as, quote, a religion practiced by peoples of the far northern Europe and Siberian areas, characterized by belief in an unseen world of gods, demons, and ancestors, responsive only to a shaman or any similar religion. I also looked up on Dictionary.com to see what they had to say. It is similar, and they write, quote, the animistic religion of Northern Asia, embracing a belief in powerful spirits that can be influenced only by shamans or any similar religion. Close quote. So who is this shaman character these definitions keep talking about? Again, Merriam-Webster and Dictionary.com are almost identical, so I will only read you Dictionary.com. It says, quote, a person who acts as an intermediary between the natural and supernatural worlds, using magic to cure illness, foretell the future, control spiritual forces, etc. These are the definitions of shaman and shamanism that I learned. These definitions are based on anthropology, the study of peoples and cultures throughout time. Most of the reading that I have done on shamanism until more recent times, has been written by anthropologists or other professors of religious and historical studies. Therefore, in my view, the idea of shaman or shamanism has not been a moving target, at least the definition has not. However, life has moved on without me, and it has become a gigantic and very fast-moving target. I'll go into all that in a minute. I'm getting to why I say that. Let me continue with some categories of shamanism that might help clear things up a little bit. The traditional shaman, also known as the tribal shaman, is a person belonging to an indigenous culture, trained in the belief system of that culture, and working as a shaman for their indigenous group their village, their tribe, what have you. This is shamanism as an anthropologist would see it. Indigenous folks living someplace practicing their indigenous religion. The next category is the neo-shaman, and this is where I fall in, and many other people who are pagans would fall in if they consider themselves shaman. This is a person who is not part of an indigenous culture practicing a traditional religion someone who has taken information from various sources and various cultures and who may or may not be acting in the role of shaman for a specific group of people. You might have the same characteristics that the traditional shaman has, but you're missing the indigenous cultural influence. Lastly, we have the shamanic practitioner. This is someone who uses shamanic techniques 
perhaps for personal development or self-help or for the gain of other people, but doesn't have a calling to the life path of shamanism. Someone who is not making a commitment, a lifelong commitment to working in a particular way, what we call shamanism. This is the most common group of people, the shamanic practitioner. So let me explain just a tiny bit more what I mean by these three categories, and hopefully things will begin to make more sense. In the traditional shaman category, there are a number of things that you would expect to find. That person should be chosen or marked by the spirits in some way. What do I mean by marked? Generally, a person has an illness or an injury of such a serious nature that they would be expected to die. This generally happens in childhood or at least some time before puberty, but there are rare cases when it happens older. This is considered being marked. You were going to die and the spirit saved you. That tells your tribe that you are special, that you are loved of the spirits. You must be formally trained by another shaman in traditional shamanism. You cannot make it up as you go along and you cannot practice solely on your own. You must have the authority of another working shaman behind you. You must be accepted as a shaman by your tribe. Even going through steps one and two, being marked and formally trained, if you are ineffectual at helping the tribe navigate a dangerous world, or if you behave in a fashion that they feel is not traditional or appropriate for someone of your status, they can revoke that status. Shaman in traditional shamanism is a position. It is a title. The primary function of a traditional shaman is to act as a spiritual intermediary for the tribe with the spirits of the place that you live in, the gods, the ancestral spirits, keeping away angry or evil forces, what we might call demons. Also, a shaman maintains the psychological balance of the tribe. If things get out of balance, whether that is a shift in the fear patterns of the tribe, whether other groups are encroaching upon your traditional lands and the decision is made whether your tribe should go to war or not, the shaman is supposed to help people cope psychologically with change. And the way they do that is through ceremony and ritual. You can say all these things are a kind of psychological drama or theater. Whether or not you believe they have actual relevance and actually work is a separate matter. Lastly, in traditional shamanism, you serve for life. When you are trained as a shaman or shaman, uh, no, that is another pronunciation. It's not one I've used, but actually the dictionary says shaman. It's something you do forever. It's something you are. It is not a job that you can put down or walk away from. So what is a neo-shaman in relation to the traditional shaman? Well, you may have some of the same or even all of the same characteristics with the exception that you're not from an indigenous culture and you're not practicing that indigenous culture's religion. In my view, a neo-shaman, to call yourself shaman at all, you must be acting as an intermediary for the spirit world and the human world. Service is the key. You must commit to serving the spirits to be a shaman for life. 
Like I said, it's a position. It's not an honorific title. It is something you are or you are not. Now that's just to use the term shaman. If you are, for instance, using shamanic techniques, which most pagans are learning without knowing that that's what they're learning, then you're using general techniques of psychological or spiritual change that's open to anybody, and you can use it with or without a commitment. It's like learning home improvement skills without being a working contractor. You can learn how to do spiritual journeys or different kinds of spirit healing without being a shaman, without making a lifelong commitment to a set of spirits and or a group of people. If you read a lot of more modern Wicca and witchcraft books, including the Witch School book. There are shamanic techniques in that book. I don't know if they're identified as shamanic or not, but shamanism has basically pervaded modern paganism without people really noticing. And I'm going to go into more of that in a minute, but let me back up and talk about what shamanism is. Anthropologically, shamanism is a term applied to prehistorical religion. Back when people were hunters and gatherers and they were amniest, meaning they saw or believed in spirits in all things, that the entire world was pervaded by the idea of both the material and the spiritual behind it, the person or persons who dealt with that spirit world within any group or tribe was the shaman, although this is a more modern term not showing up before sometime in the 17 or 1800s. I'm not exactly sure when it was coined. In any event, shamanism is a simplified term for religion before history, before the establishment of churches and classes and hierarchies. This was the original healer, psychiatrist, spiritual leader. This person was usually not politically the leader. There would be a chief or some other form of political authority. The shaman was simply the spiritual specialist. If you take the anthropological definition seriously, shamanism's roots go back to the Paleolithic period, about a hundred thousand years ago. I'm not sure we can make a simple semantic statement that shamanism goes from 100,000 years ago to approximately the rise of structured culture, Sumeria, Egypt, that sort of thing. But that's how it's described in books on anthropology. And I know some of you have heard this same statement made in connection to witchcraft, that witchcraft's roots, at least witchcraft as Gerald Gardner saw it, go back about 100,000 years to the Paleolithic period. Gardner decided that witchcraft was a more convenient term than shamanism. It is clear he knew that term, shamanism. He simply made a choice. I think either term is somewhat misleading, but either term does do the job. It depends on where you're standing. So throughout history, you have Westerners, primarily Europeans, going out into the world and studying indigenous peoples on remote islands, in the central parts of Africa, wherever they found them, they would study them. 
after they got over killing them initially. And this is where anthropology comes in and shamanism starts being an actual subject of study. Around 1900, the early 1900s, anthropologists decided to start partaking in shamanistic ritual and study personally, firsthand. Up until that point, generally they were just observing and writing from the outside. At some point, it became clear that to really understand the worldview that a particular culture was expressing, you had to become on the inside of their spiritual knowledge. And the only way to do that was to participate. That became more common through the early 1900s, and we arrive at the 1950s and 1960s. During the tremendous cultural and political upheaval, at least in the United States, we have Westerners, including academics, looking for other ways to express themselves, other spiritualities. And people went all over the world, famously to India and South America, parts of Asia. A lot more serious scholars started studying cultures of indigenous people, and they started participating in these indigenous cultures. And right about this time in the late 60s, early 70s, psychiatrists and psychologists got a hold of shamanism and thought, these people, these shaman, look a lot like a kind of psychiatrist or a kind of psychologist. And the real explosion in modern shamanism took place at this time. An entire new school of psychology called transpersonal psychology, meaning we are studying the things that transcend the personal, that go beyond the individual to a larger cosmic sense, became really popular, particularly in the United States. And it was these transpersonal psychologists who brought shamanism to a much wider audience. Because these psychologists were not interested in becoming shaman, but they were interested in using shamanic practices and techniques in treatment and therapy and self-help. So you took shamanism out of the hands of a very small group of people, anthropologists and the like, who were directly involved in field study and direct participation, and put it in the hands of a much wider group of people who didn't want to directly participate with an indigenous culture, but wanted to know what those cultures were doing and how it affected the human psychological and spiritual condition. For those of you who know Carlos Castaneda and his series of books, I'm not going to go into it, but many people do say that he is partly responsible for bringing shamanism to the American mindset. In my view, there are too many arguments about whether Castaneda in fact did actual research or made everything up to really talk much about his contribution one way or the other. But in 1980, Michael Harner, a fairly well-respected anthropologist, released a book called Way of the Shaman based on his studies of some South American Indians. Now, he did the studies in the 50s, 50s and 60s, but he published this book in 1980. What he did that had never been done before is he described his initiations and ceremonies and practices of these South American Indians in a way that regular 
average people could understand and imitate. So he broke down the idea of altered states of consciousness, which is the primary form in which a shaman meets his friends and enemies in the spirit world by going into an altered state of consciousness. He studied, Harner did, those states of consciousness through normal biomedical means and psychological means and then wrote a book basically instructing average people how to do some of these techniques. And this has a lot to do with how shamanism found its way or the techniques of shamanism found its way into paganism. Obviously, pagans read a wide range of things. Folks came across Harner in 1980. They came across some of his more arcane predecessors, Mercy Iliad and Claude Levi Strauss and a number of other anthropologists from the early 1900s. And this material got synthesized and simplified and put into the open pagan worldview in some cases without folks knowing where it came from. So we've talked about techniques and how they got into the mainstream, at least in America and Europe. What exactly is shamanism? Well, it's a very difficult thing to say. Shamanism is often equated with anneism, the idea that every object, every tree, every stream has a spirit. Many indigenous cultures are animists, but not all of them. There is a current thriving shamanic practice amongst people of South Korea, particularly the tribe called the Hmong. They are not, fully speaking, animists, yet their shamanic culture continues to this day. There is no one set of things that defines shamanism outside of what Merriam-Webster told us that basically you believe that there is a spirit world that underlies the physical world and that someone, i.e. the shaman, must be the intermediary between those worlds and that the spirit world holds within it information and ability to heal, to foretell the future, to change the psychological and spiritual nature of a person, there isn't anything that you can hold on to that specifically defines what shamanism is beyond that idea, which is why shamanism and mysticism and occultism, all of this stuff gets so mixed up and so mushed together. Shamanism really only defined initially a specific group of people in Siberia, the Tungus culture, and then was later applied to some folks in Mongolia, the Burat culture. These are all North Asian cultures. Eventually, it basically became a shorthand term for any indigenous people who were pre-Christian, who believed in a mythology of multiple gods, multiple spirits. You could easily take that term and apply it to Iron Age Celts, except the difference that anthropology makes between shamanism and priesthood. The shaman draws his authority from the spirits directly. The priest draws their authority from some form of structured religious hierarchy. It is a difference between tribal culture 
and, quote, civilized village or city-state life. That is really the only legitimate marking point between the two. It is one of the reasons why, if you're a shaman today and you don't live on the Navajo reservation or some similar indigenous cultural group, you have to call yourself a neo-shaman. You are a new kind of thing. You may be doing what people have done for 10,000 years, but you are not doing it within the cultural context that it grew up in. You're doing it as a modern person in a modern society. You are not linked to a tribal group, unless perhaps you're the shaman for your family group. You have some sort of family religious group, and you act as that group's intermediary with the spirit world. If you're doing that, maybe you fall under a traditional shaman, but that must be one-tenth of one percent of modern people. Everyone else is acting in a different way. And that's why we call it neo-shamanism, because our culture, our societies are distinctly different from those societies that sprung shamanism originally. Another thing about the term shaman, using it, I mean. First of all, traditional shaman, Native Americans, people from South America, are rather touchy about the term. If you say neo-shaman, most people will give you a pass because they understand you are not trying to pass yourself off as the same as them, as having the equivalent of their long-running tradition. Secondly, shaman is a working title. If you're not serving the spirits in whatever way your contract with them requires, whether that is serving a human population or simply aiding the spirits in the work behind the scenes that they do, if you're not a working person, you're not a shaman. It is a title. It is a position. It is not an honorific. If you are using shamanic technique for your own personal growth, you can say you're a shamanic practitioner, absolutely. That is what most people in the New Age and Pagan movement, yes, I did dare say New Age, but it's still out there, it's still a big movement. Most folks who are Pagan or New Agers, or even liberal Christians at this point, are using shamanic techniques. So if you want to investigate shamanism for yourself, let me give you a couple of tips. I did some looking for websites recently, and many of them, the majority of them, present themselves as straightforward, fact-based information. Yet if you read through them, you get to a point where there's books being sold or classes being sold, what have you, which I'm not opposed to. I don't have any problem with asking for money for knowledge. I've said that before. But I do have a problem with the idea that you are presenting yourself as a straightforward informational site when you are, in fact, selling lectures or selling books. I think that should be clearly stated. So you should be careful of what you read. Pay attention to the credentials of the author. If a book is about shamanism, but the person is a psychologist, realize that it is transpersonal psychology and shamanic practice that you are probably reading about, not shamanism from a traditional point of view. Know the author's point of view or intention with the book. All this stuff goes for websites as well. 
What is the author trying to tell you? Is it a self-help book? Is it a religious book? What's the purpose of that book? Notice that if you look around, you'll find shamanic techniques everywhere. It is laced through Wiccan material going back at least as early as the 70s. You'll find it in self-help movements. You will find it in very unexpected places when you begin to know what to look for. When it comes to claims from books, from websites, whatever, ignore all of them. Any book or website that claims if you do this technique or do that technique, you will get these definite results is full of it. There is nothing that another person is going to know with certainty about your relationship to the spirit world. Only you will know by having that experience. No one can guarantee you anything. They can't even guarantee you that that technique will work for you. Take all of that stuff with a huge grain of salt. I saw a disheartening amount of claims on the websites I recently looked at saying if you practice this technique, you'll increase your wealth or you will live longer, you will X, Y, and Z. There are actually alternative healing and shamanistic types of travel now where you can sign on with an all-inclusive package to go to Bolivia, study with a shaman for three days, and come home. This is very popular amongst folks with quite a bit of money to spend. I'm not saying they are all fraudulent, but if you're ever going to consider such a thing or taking classes at a retreat, really research who the participants and presenters are, what their credentials are, and how long they have been doing this. The interest in the West, in shamanism, in the last 25-30 years has created an entire industry of fake healers, fake potions, and fake cures for all kinds of problems. It's a big, big numbers game. Here's a book that I want to recommend to you, and some of you are going to think it's funny because it's a complete idiot's guide. It's the complete idiot's guide to shamanism. If you are not familiar with shamanism, if you are not familiar and do not want to spend the time reading 20 or 30 anthropological books, which is what I did, which is what most of us did 20 years ago. There were not simple, broad, sweeping books about shamanism out there. But this Idiot's Guide to Shamanism by Ginny Graham Scott, who, by the way, is a psychiatrist or psychologist. She practices transpersonal psychology. There's no question about that. She has something of a point of view, but she's done a very good job of explaining in the broadest, straightforward terms what shamanism is, its history, how it has evolved through modern times, what it can be used for, the difference between a traditional shaman, a neo-shaman, shamanic technique. It's a fantastic book if you want to buy one book and one book only on shamanism. It also has a number of exercises and techniques directly in the book. I've had it for, I think, six or seven years now. I actually laughed when I picked it up. I thought it was a joke. But I sat down with it in Barnes & Noble, and I started to look at it, and I thought, this is actually the only book I would recommend to someone wanting to start a study of shamanism. It is the clearest, 
most straightforward book that I think, at least that I've come across. Maybe there's others out there. But generally, when you read a book on shamanism, you're reading about one author or anthropologist's experience with one group of people, be it the Kong Bushmen of Southern Africa or some Andean tribe in Peru, whatever it might be, you're reading one microcosm view of shamanism. Although Michael Harner does present a bit more of a macrocosm view in his book, Way of the Shaman, it is still fairly South American-centric. It is appropriate to say that shamanism, when practiced as a life choice, is a worldview. You can be a pagan, you can be a Celtic-leaning reconstructionist who happens to be a shaman. The issue isn't what mythology do you subscribe to per se. Shamanism allows for every mythology or no mythology. It's about the idea of doing things practically, finding out what works, being a working, magical, spiritual practitioner. Being a shaman is about doing what works. And the cultural overlay, what you call the gods, how you respond to particular spirits, in what way you do healing, is much more based on you and what works for you because you're not from an indigenous culture. You didn't learn it a specific way from the Bolivian coastline because you don't live in Bolivia. It is a worldview and it is a life path. It's a self-directed path if you are a neo-shaman. It is the understanding that there is a spirit world that lies behind or underneath everything and that it is your job to specialize in that spirit world, to learn what it has to offer, to bring the knowledge and the helpful energies back into this physical world. Now, most of you will want to do some shamanic techniques throughout your pagan life. And that's great. There's a lot of books out there that will help you do that. There's websites and seminars and all kinds of things for you to look up. But in case there's any of you wondering if you are meant to be a shaman as a lifelong commitment, first of all, read some books, definitely. Uh, start with Jenny Graham Scott and the Idiot's Guide to Shamanism. But here's a couple of clues, a couple of signs that you might be born with this particular talent. Did you have a serious illness or injury expected to result in death generally during your childhood from which you recovered? Signs of mental illness that go away after a significant trauma or that heal after you become aware of spirit activity in your life is another big sign. Cross-dressing or other gender-mixing behavior. This is one of the rare examples where a society would accept cross-dressing or gender-mixing behavior. Generally, that was universally shunned. But shamanism is one of the places where it's considered normal. If you are naturally inclined to wear dresses and you are a man, that's considered a sign that the spirits are working through you. Regular interactions with the spirit world, especially in childhood. Did you have a lot of experience with ghosts? Poltergeist experience, objects moving around your house, that sort of thing. Or night terrors, 
those horrible, unbelievably difficult and scary dreams? Do you receive communication through your dreams? Do you have dreams that foretell future events? Do you talk to beings in your dreams that give you information about solving problems in your life or solving problems in someone else's life? Were you born with a natural healing ability that you did not actually learn at any point, but just seemed to always be with you? Do you have strong divination skills? Did you have astral projection experiences during childhood, particularly in childhood? They may have developed later around puberty as well. And any one of these signs is not a sign necessarily that you're born to be a shaman. And several of these signs may exist in your life and you choose not to be a shaman. That's entirely your choice. This is just a list of things that might indicate that you have a natural propensity for this kind of work to be a specialist in the spirit world. When I was a kid, I don't know, four or five years old, we used to go to the Jersey Shore every year in the summer for two weeks. It was the thing that suburban middle class families did in the 1970s. We would rent a tiny little beach cabin and sometimes we would rent a pop-up camper trailer and we would stay in a park. I had a reoccurring dream when I was a child, at least at the time I thought it was a dream, where I would float up out of my bed and continue face up until I hit the ceiling and would be bumping against and staring at the ceiling, unable to return to my body. And I would feel awake and I would try to scream and I would be petrified by this. I felt that I was simply floating up into space, but somehow the ceiling would stop me every time. This happened many, many times when we were at the Jersey Shore. And for some reason, it tended to happen that I recall only at the Jersey Shore. But it went on for years, and I told my parents, and of course they said it was nothing. Later, when I came across journey work and astral projection, it immediately struck me that this is what had been happening all along. This is what I had been doing from the time I was very small. I just only did it when I was asleep. Another thing that used to happen a lot when I was a child, and that I attribute to spirit activity, is my parents would regularly find me outside of our house in the middle of the night. And I'd be in my pajamas, I might be playing on the swing set or just wandering around, completely unafraid, and with no recollection of being there, but I was not, as they understood it, sleepwalking. I was fully awake. They would come and talk to me, we would have a conversation, but they never could figure out how I was getting out why no one would notice me leaving, I used to play outside in driving rainstorms. It freaked my parents out, and obviously they had no way of comprehending what was going on there, but they said that I had an extremely active imagination, as they put it, and that I kept regular conversations with invisible friends. This went on probably till I was six or seven, and at some point, my parents told me to stop doing that. I don't know exactly when I did stop, but by the time I was 9 or 10, I have no recollection of behaving in that way, and I had completely forgotten that it had ever happened. They had caused me to believe that this behavior was bad, and so I stopped and forgot all about it. Shamanism was the first thing that I ever studied when I became a pagan, a magical person. 
and I studied it because it seemed so obvious and so natural to me. The minute I read about it, the minute I heard about it, it seemed like something I had been aware of or involved in my whole life. And to this day, it is the thing I am primarily concerned with, working with the spirit world, that is. And I thought this topic followed perfectly after episode 16, the show on spirits, because shamanism is so interconnected with the idea of a spirit world. My nose is starting to clog up really bad, and I'm having some problems keeping my throat moist, so I'm going to finish up this show for today. I want to get to editing and be done with it. I covered everything I intended to. I don't know if I covered it as well as I had hoped. I feel a little bit scattered. My intent was to give you an understanding that shamanism is not a singular thing, and that there's been a tremendous amount of change in the last 30 or 40 years, where shamanism went from being something only academics studied in indigenous cultures in remote places in the world, to shamanism being something of the darling of a huge and wide range of people, from psychology to pagans to the average self-help guru. And I hope in presenting this topic I have made some of that clear and not made things harder to understand. I'm going to put a list of books that I recommend in the show notes for this episode. There won't be a lot of them, but uh, I will put next to them whether they come from a transpersonal psychology point of view, whether they are anthropological in nature, etc., so that you know why I'm recommending them. If you have any questions or any comments about this episode, I'd love to hear them. Please send me an email, make a comment, write an iTunes review. It's all good for me. Once again, I want to thank you all for joining me today. And I'm really, really excited about some of the topics that I have for the next couple of shows. If you have a topic, please recommend it. Let me know. Blessings to you all. Harmonizados comigo É muito querido a mim 